last time I got the opportunity to preach up here, I started going through the letter of Colossians, and that is where I plan to continue every time I'm up here until we've completed it. Now, uh, a quick recap for those who are not here, along with refreshing the memories of those who were. Uh, Colossians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul from prison to a church that was located in Colossae, which was a small agricultural city located in southwest Asia Minor, uh, kind of around modern-day Turkey. Paul starts out this letter uh, by clearly laying out the gospel uh, for them, along with an encouragement towards these relatively new believers of where their hope lies in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, where their hope lies in the gospel. And he, he continued this model of encouragement with a robust and detailed prayer for strength, endurance, patience, and joy that, again, all stems from their faith and trust in Jesus. Now, something I mentioned last time, but I kind of put a pin in it, is that this region was well known for its obsession with magic and mystics. Uh, they loved being in awe of things that they couldn't comprehend fully, and it often led them to worship different objects and even people. Paul knew that about this area and about these people. So in these next few verses, Paul tells them something about Jesus that would be difficult to comprehend fully and something that would lead them to awe over Jesus in amazement in the hopes that it would lead them to greater worship and greater praise of Jesus. And I hope and pray that as we go through this letter, our sense of awe of Jesus and our worship and praise for him will be greater as well. But before we get any further, uh, let's pray and ask God to do exactly that in our hearts and minds this morning. Uh, pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have this opportunity to worship you through hearing your word and singing songs that glorify who you are and what you have done for us. I thank you that we have the ability to pray to you and that you listen to us. God, I pray that you will speak through me this morning as we look at your word, and I pray that as a result, we will have a better understanding of just how great, just how powerful, and just how worthy of praise that you are. God, uh, please open our hearts and minds and ears to what you have to say to us this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, this section of scripture that, we're, uh, that we'll be going through today uh, is key in our understanding of who Jesus is and what all he has done. And there are two key points that I want to show you from this letter about who Jesus is. One, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme in creation and Jesus is supreme in the church and in the new creation. And second, Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is sufficient in his person, who he is, being God, and being God with us, Emmanuel. And Jesus is sufficient in his work, what he has done on the cross, and what he is doing, interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. So uh, first, let's see how Jesus is supreme from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 18. Uh, please follow along as I read. Again, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is superior to all others. Jesus has the highest rank and authority over everything. We, we see that truth dripping from every portion of these four verses. But, but, but why, right? Why is Jesus supreme? Again, we, we can see why, starting in verse 15. It says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Again, Jesus is supreme. Why? Because he is God. He is the image of the invisible God. The, the God of the Old Testament, uh, the God who made promises with Abraham, the God of the Israelites, he has never been physically seen. We, we see that uh, in John 1.18 where it says no one has ever seen God. But Jesus, he makes the invisible God visible. Jesus himself said in John 14.9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Again, Jesus is God. Paul's opening statement about the preeminence and superiority of Jesus starts with making the crucial connection that Jesus is God. There are not two gods, but they are the same. And Paul continues on how Jesus is supreme by saying in the second half of verse 15 that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, when, when you and I normally would use this term firstborn, we think of uh, uh, children or siblings, right? Uh, my mother is the firstborn of her three siblings, and she's the oldest because she was born first. But this is actually not how Paul is using it. Uh, the, the, the title firstborn is the same word that is used when talking about Israel as God's firstborn, and it's used to describe David in Psalm 89, 27. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Israel wasn't the first people group ever created, and David wasn't the first king to have ever ruled. And Jesus always has been and always will be. But uh, going back to the literal meaning for a moment, we can see how it plays itself out. Uh, so siblings, uh, if you are the oldest sibling, have you ever held that fact over your younger sibling's head? A at least once? Twice, thrice, yeah, uh, it, probably multiple times, right? Because you are older, you have more authority over your younger siblings. Why? Because you were born first, which means that you are older, hopefully more mature, and if your parents are going to put one of you in charge for a time, it's usually going to be the older one. Again, I say usually. <clears throat> there are exceptions. So the, the title firstborn here, though, is not literal. Rather, it's being used in the same sense that the firstborn has more authority over the rest. Now, not only is Jesus given the title of firstborn, but the firstborn of all creation. This shows that Jesus not only has authority over other men and women, but all is all. Everything that is in creation Animals, fish, plants, rain, oxygen, fire, mountains, planets, suns, galaxies, black holes. 
and the list could go on and on and on, right? Jesus showed that authority time and time again in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus commanded the winds and waves to calm down with just a word, and they obeyed. If I try that, they're probably not going to obey if I do it in my own uh, strength, right? He, he commanded the demons to flee out of the bodies of those that they were tormenting, and they obeyed. Jesus even showed his authority over sickness and death itself. Jesus is supreme over all creation. And this is so important for us to grasp. Because when we come across different obstacles in our lives that seem so out of our control, we must remember that nothing is out of our Lord, Savior, and King's control. And again, we see that because Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Uh, let, let, let's continue and read verse 16. Again, Colossians 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So first, uh, the, the way that we read verse 15 is, a, is a confirmed here. For by him, Jesus, all things were created, right? Again, Jesus isn't simply a part of the created world itself. Rather, he created it. But, but, but beyond that, uh, there are three specific ways that show the extent of Jesus's supremacy. One, by him, all things were created. Two, all things were created through him. And three, all things were created for him. So by him and through him, these first two both show that everything in all of creation was created because of Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus was integral in creation. John 1, 1 through 3 speaks to this same exact point. Uh, John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Right, again, Jesus being the word, right? Without Jesus, we would not have been created, and we would not exist. People that say that Jesus was only a man or only a great teacher have missed this completely, right? Uh, it says, by him and through him, all things were created. But third... It says that all things were created for him. So not only is Jesus the creator, but he's also the purpose for why it was all created. Ephesians uh, speaks of this in Ephesians 1.10, uh, where it says uh, of God's plans to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Again, uh, Jesus is not only the creator, but he's also the purpose for why it was all created. Uh, theolo uh, theologian Douglas Moo puts it this way, Christ stands at the beginning of the universe as the one through whom it came into being, and he stands at its end as the goal of the universe. Right? All things were created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. 
Verse 16 also gives us a bit more context on what all things includes. Uh, Read with me again verse 16 one more time. Colossians 1 verse 16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So to, to start out, Paul expands on all things, right? But by saying all things in heaven and on earth. So everything that is in heaven, you know, heaven, uh, angels, everything in the heavens, again, stars, planets, galaxies, black holes. I don't know why I keep mentioning black holes. I just think they're cool. And our God made them. And again, the list goes on and on. Jesus created them and they were created for him. And everything that is on earth, people, animals, fish, plants, rain, oxygen, fire, mountains, the list goes on. Jesus created them, and they were created for him. Everything in the created order, everything in the universe, Jesus created them, and they were created for him. But Paul continues with with saying visible and invisible. So, again, not just physical beings, just in case we interpreted it that way, right? Uh, It's not just physical beings, but spiritual beings as well. Angels, right? Cherubim, seraphim. Jesus created them, and they were created for him. And lastly, verse 16 lists four other realms of influence uh, and power. Thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Now, these four labels whether Paul is talking about spiritual thrones and dominions of Satan and his forces, or if Paul is talking about the rulers and authorities that have been put over you and I that we must submit to. Either way you look at it, the truth is, is that Jesus is above and in control over them all. And I believe as a Christ follower that this should be a great source of comfort and hope. And the the reason being is because we can know that God has a plan in the midst of it all. There is no law or governing authority that will hinder or thwart God's plans, even if they slow or halt ours. There is no spiritual or mystical force that is too great for our God to handle, even if it's overwhelming and crippling for us. It says that all things were created through him and for him. So uh, these opposing authorities and rulers who were against the gospel, they were given their authority by Jesus for the purpose of Jesus. Now, whether it's for us to rely on him more in the midst of it, or for us to have opportunities uh, uh, to, to, to see him work in the midst of the turmoil, or because of another reason that we can't even fathom, God, in his supreme sovereignty, knows what will ultimately grow our love and adoration for him, and he knows what will better glorify him in the end. Jesus is supreme. Now, uh, let's see one more way that Jesus is supreme over creation. Colossians 1, verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him... All things hold together. 
So Jesus, he is before all things, again, confirms how he interpreted firstborn earlier, that he wasn't the first created one, but rather he, always, he has always been, right? Jesus existed before creation itself. But secondly, in verse 17, it says that in him, all things hold together. All things hold together. Uh, they, 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 they cohere together. They bind together. Uh, I, I, again, uh, I love how Douglas Moo describes the statement of Jesus' sustaining power. Uh, he says, what holds the universe together is not an idea or a virtue, but a person. The resurrected Christ. Without him, electrons would not continue to circle nuclei. Gravity would cease to work. The planets would not stay in their orbits. Uh, again, you want to talk about like, like mind-blown moment, right? Uh, Jesus is not only the creator, but he is also the sustainer of all things. Jesus provides what is needed for all things to exist and continue to exist. Now again, uh, if I'm being honest, uh, I enjoy things that I can't fully explain. And things that I just go, whoa, just for a bit afterwards. Uh, so I, I can understand where these Colossians are coming from. But hearing that Jesus not only created everything, again, mind blown number one, but that he also, in his infinite power, sustains their existence, mind puts back together and explodes it for the second time, right? Again, Paul knew what the Colossians needed in order for them to put their all in praise back where it should be, on the one who deserves it, on Jesus. Now, not only is Jesus the sustainer of material things, but this statement by Paul had some other implications for these Colossian Christians who were so enamored with pursuing other mystical and fantastical practices in order to be unified together. They were being tempted to find coherence and unity through other means instead of being unified in Jesus. So Paul reminds them that just as Jesus saved them from their sins, he is also the one who will Keep them all together. Church, th th this is huge for us too. The thing that unites us together isn't how we worship God, but the God that we worship. The thing that unites us together isn't the style of preaching, but the word that is preached itself. We are held together as a body of Christ by Christ himself. And again, we, uh, Jesus is supreme in creation. But now, let, uh, let's see how Paul describes Jesus' superiority in the church and in the new creation. Uh, read with me in verse 18. And he, again Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In verse 18, we see Paul shift away from just overall creation towards the more specific new creation of Jesus's people, the church. Jesus is the head of the body. Now again, uh, your heads, my head, they contain our brains, uh, which commands every other part of our bodies, right? If you want to walk, uh, your brain sends the signal down uh, to your feet to lift, to the leg, move forward a little, and then back down, right? 
the head controls that. Well, in the same way, Jesus, as the head of the body, the church, he has sent commands for us to do in his word, the Bible, and we are to do them. But how often, though, if we're being honest, have we as the church, right, universal church, Christians everywhere, let the hand that is just so darn good at waving drive the entire body? Instead of looking to what the head, Jesus, is telling us to do. We shouldn't be motivated or ruled by just flashy and catchy things that are superficial and don't bring glory to Jesus, but rather we should be motivated and ruled by things that bring praise to God and not ourselves only. Jesus is the head of the church, and he is the one that calls the shots. And the reason why is not because he's a power-hungry God, but because he has the authority to do so. And he has earned it with his own blood and with his own life on the cross, which again, we're going to get to in just a moment. But he has earned it. But before we leave verse 18, uh, lastly, uh, we also see uh, that he, Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he, Jesus, might be preeminent. So again, here, the firstborn is being used in both ways, right? Uh, that, 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 that literal way. So uh, not only in the way of supreme authority of the oldest or first, but also in the literal first one to be raised from the dead. Jesus died on the cross, paying the punishment of sin for all who would believe. And in doing so, he brought forgiveness of sins for us. And he rose from the dead, proving his power and authority over the curse of sin, death itself. But Jesus didn't do that only to remove the sin, even though that would have been enough. He also rose to show us the model that we too will rise after our physical death. And because of Jesus not only being the model, but also the mold, the one who made it possible for us, because of that fact, Paul says that Jesus is preeminent, or supreme in authority over us all. So again, the first key point is that Jesus is supreme in creation, in the church, and in the new creation. Uh, And secondly, and lastly for us today, the second key point is that Jesus is sufficient. He's sufficient in his person, who he is, being God, and he is sufficient in his work, what he has done. Read with me verses 19 and 20 of Colossians. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul wanted these Colossian Christians who were so easily distracted by great and fantastical things to know the greatest and most fantastical thing that they could know about Jesus. Beyond everything that he had done in creation, which that's enough, 
but the fullness of God dwelt inside of Jesus. The fullness of God dwelt inside of Jesus. The full majesty and splendor of God that if any other man would have even gazed their eyes on would have died. The full power and glory of God was in Jesus. And again, why? Because he was God. Right? Uh, again, but Paul actually doubles down on this fact later in the same letter, just to make sure that no one thinks that it's a typo. Uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 9 of Colossians, it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Again, Jesus was fully man, and he was also fully God. And it's so important to grasp that fact, because it makes Jesus the only one to do what verse 20 says. Again, uh, Colossians 1.20, And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Because of sin, we are separated from a holy and righteous God. There is nothing that we can do to deserve forgiveness for our sins. No amount of just really heartfelt prayers, no amount of time or money given, no good deeds. And the end result of our unresolved sin is death. Death and eternal separation from that relationship with God. We have, without Jesus, irreconcilable differences with God. He is holy and we are not. Nothing can reconcile our relationship with God except for God himself stepping in, which is what Jesus did. Jesus was sufficient, and Jesus was enough. It says that through Jesus, all things were reconciled. Through him, all things were reconciled. The harmony and relationship of God with his creation has been restored, and there is peace once more just as it was when God first created it all in Genesis before sin entered in. Jesus' work on the cross is sufficient, and it was enough. And it still is enough. Church, we, we need to stop adding on to the cross. Okay? We need to stop adding on to the cross. Our salvation doesn't rest on Jesus' shed blood and the cross and our service to the church. Our salvation doesn't rest on Jesus' shed blood on the cross and how much we can tithe or give to the poor and the needy or anything else that you can add to the list. Our salvation does rest on Jesus' shed blood on the cross, period. Again, we should do those things, right? We, we, we should serve the church. We should give to the poor and the needy. Again, Jesus, as the head of the church, has told us and called us to do those things. But our salvation and reconciliation to God is not dependent on it. Because the only way to find peace with God is through the blood of Jesus' cross. Because Jesus is supreme and he is sufficient. He's supreme. Again, he, he created all things and all things were created for him. 
He has authority over everything and everyone, and he sustains and unifies all things. Jesus is sufficient in his person, just who he is, being God and God with us, and he's sufficient in his work and what he's done on the cross. So, how does this apply to you and to me this morning? If you feel unworthy of Jesus' love because you haven't done enough, rest in the supreme sufficiency of Jesus' work who has done enough for you. But at the same time, the other side of that coin, if you feel proud or arrogant and that you deserve Jesus' love because of what you have done, repent. Repent from that sin and thought process and rest in Jesus' work who is the one that deserves the praise and recognition from you, not the other way around. If you believe that Jesus is supreme in authority and rank to all things, then please also remember what all things entails. It includes your life, your time, your money, your headspace and thought processes, your hobby, your job, your resources. And again, before you're like, who is this guy telling me all these things? I'm telling myself that as well, right? It includes you and it includes me. All things is all things. Ask for forgiveness from that wrong mentality of you making yourself supreme in your own life and repent from it and make Jesus supreme in your life. Lastly, if you're here this morning and still don't believe that Jesus is God and that Jesus is supreme and that Jesus is sufficient for your sins and mine, I pray that you will continue to read his word, to listen to what he has to say, study his word, and ask God to open your eyes to the truth that is found within it. I definitely do not have all the answers to life's hard questions and situations, but I do know that in the midst of it all, Jesus is sustaining it. And he has a plan that will have a greater end result than any of us could ever imagine or dream of. Trust in his supreme power and greatness and trust in his sufficient work on the cross that reconciles you to God. And lastly, praise him in awe and wonder for who he is and for the hope that he's given and the future that you have with him that is worthy of any and every trial that will come your way. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I pray that as we uh, transition our hearts and minds to partake in communion and as we remember what Jesus has done through the blood of his cross, we will also remember to honor Jesus as supreme, not only over every authority that we see over us, but also in our own lives and hearts. God, I thank you for the hope that we find in the greatness of our Lord Jesus and how even now he intercedes for us at the right hand of you, our Father. Let us be a church and a body that follows the commands and instructions of Jesus, the head, 
And lastly, I pray that you will continue to open our eyes to the glory and majesty of our King Jesus, and that you will give us all opportunities to share the hope and the joy that we have that is found in him. And we pray all of this in the name that is above every other name, in the supreme and sufficient name of Jesus. Amen.